0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us to trust in the Lord. It's one of the central things that God requires of us. Psalm 4 says, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. In Psalm 31, David confesses, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3 teaches, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do you know what it means to trust in someone? The Hebrew, te- the Hebrew term means to lean on something for support, to rely on someone or something for help and protection. To trust means that you feel safe with that person, that you have full confidence in him. There are many things that we can trust in or rely on in this life. The Bible often contrasts Trusting in the Lord with relying on other gods. In our modern context, it's easy for people to rely on money and possessions for their security. At times, we're inclined to put our confidence in other people. Kings would put their trust in their own armies or in the support of foreign armies. We may come to depend on a parent, a spouse, a close friend as a source of support. Yet for most of us, the most difficult thing about putting our trust in the Lord is that we tend to rely on ourselves. We're inclined to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. If we're facing financial struggles, we think we can overcome them through our own hard work. If we're confronted with other struggles in life, We think we can overcome them through our own ingenuity, strength, or striving. For many of us, it goes against the grain to ask for help. Even though God is all-powerful and supremely loving, he often seems to be a last resort that we only turn to when circumstances become desperate. We see this in the life of Jacob, Before he left Canaan, God appeared to him in a dream at Bethel, promising to be with Jacob, to keep him wherever he went, and to bring him back to the promised land. Even though Jacob came to Haran alone, God blessed him with a family and provided him with many children. Although he came penniless and Laban tried to cheat him, God blessed him materially, He made him exceedingly rich. Yet Jacob still has not learned to trust in the Lord, to rely on him for everything he needs. We see this in the manner that Jacob leaves Haran. He doesn't say farewell, but flees from his father-in-law while he's off shearing his sheep. We see this in response to the news that Esau is coming to meet him. He sends gifts ahead of him to try smooth out the way. He divides his company into two camps, thinking that if Esau attacked one, the other might still escape. Jacob's still working hard to find his own way forward in life. He's striving to protect his own family and to get home safely. But he does not put his full trust and dependence on the Lord. When Jacob left Canaan for Haran, the Lord met him at Bethel. Now, as Jacob is returning from Haran to Canaan, he once more encounters God. Yet this time it's not through a dream. Instead, God comes to Jacob in a more real and dramatic manner. He comes to Jacob to teach him not to try to be self-sufficient or self-reliant, but to trust in the Lord. There's much we can learn from Jacob's experiences at Peniel. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. Before we can enter the kingdom of God, God needs to change us into people who rely on him. We'll consider our tendency towards self-sufficiency, our need to rely on God, and our entrance into God's kingdom. Genesis 32 starts with Jacob returning to the land God had sworn him as his inheritance. As he went, the angels of God met him. Jacob encountered the angels whom he had seen earlier at Bethel when leaving the land. That would have been of immense comfort to Jacob. He called that place Mahanaim, which means two camps. Besides his own company, God had come to camp with him. Thus God provided Jacob with a heavenly escort as he goes on his way to meet his brother Esau. He gave Jacob the assurance of his ongoing presence with him. Yet Jacob still was not settled and at rest. When he departed from Canaan, he left behind a broken relationship with his brother Esau. He had cheated Esau by stealing the blessing from him. Esau had been so angry, he threatened to kill his brother. That's why Jacob had fled to Uncle Laban's place. But running away had not resolved the issue. Jacob was fearful about the type of reception he would receive from Esau. And so he makes extensive preparations to meet him. To start with, Jacob sent messengers to inform Esau he was coming. He instructed his servants to say to Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I've said to tell my Lord, in order that I may find favor in your sight. Jacob puts on a front of humility. Although he obtained the blessing of the elder son through trickery, He calls himself servant. He refers to Esau as my lord. By telling Esau he has become rich, he's saying he will not need any part of Father Isaac's estate. Jacob is again using smooth words to try manipulate the situation. He does not want Esau to kill him. Instead, he's asking for reconciliation He's seeking to be restored in his relationship with his brother. He wants peace. When his servants return, they tell Jacob that Esau was coming to meet him. And 400 men are with him. This strikes fear into Jacob's heart. He thinks that Esau still seeks to kill him. Otherwise, why would he come with a small army of 400 men? Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. His mind searches for a way to avert disaster. He tries to control the situation. First, he comes up with a plan. He divides the people who are with him and the flocks, herds, and camels into two camps. He thought if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Then Jacob Praise! For the first time recorded in scripture, the self-reliant, self-sufficient Jacob prays. He prays for deliverance. Jacob admits he's not worthy of God's steadfast love and faithfulness toward him. He prays, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. This is the beginning of the new Jacob. The first time this self-reliant man looks outside of himself for help. He earnestly prays to God. Yet Jacob remains a schemer. He's rich, so perhaps he can buy off Esau's anger with presents fit for a king. He sends droves of animals, goats, sheep, camels, cows, and donkeys. Jacob shrewdly decides not to give all the animals at once. He places them in droves with spaces between each one. Each time another drove met Esau, Jacob's servants were to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. Jacob keeps playing the humble servant card. With wave after wave of royal gifts, he's trying to appease the anger of Esau. Having sent Esau's presence across the Jabbok River, Jacob still cannot sleep. He thinks Esau is coming to kill him and his family. How can they escape 400 men? Has he done everything he can? What if Esau catches him as he's just fording the river with all these women, children, and herds? Esau will annihilate them. So the same night Jacob got up and crossed the river, he took his family and possessions, he sent them all ahead of him. Now Jacob has done everything he possibly can to prepare for Esau's coming. Genesis 32 shows Jacob's self-reliance. It's true that he prayed to the Lord for deliverance, but part of that is due to the desperate circumstances he was in. It makes you think of the saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. It's a saying that shows that in times of extreme stress or fear, such as during war, all people will believe in, or at least hope for a higher power. Now, I'm not saying that Jacob did not know God. His prayer made it clear he did. I'm not saying that Jacob didn't have faith in the Lord. But what our text makes clear is that he still does whatever is in his own power to avert disaster, disaster. Beloved, are we not often like Jacob? Don't we tend to rely on our own strength and smarts and our hard work to get ahead in life? Don't we often try to be in control of what happens around us, manipulating others to fulfill our wants and desires? In times of trouble and stress, do you call on the Lord for his aid and protection? Or is praying only a last resort when we end up in dire straits? We all have a tendency toward self-reliance and self-sufficiency. It's part of our fallen human nature. Often it gets in the way of trusting, of relying on the Lord. This brings us to our second point, and it will deal with our need to rely on God. Our text tells us that after having sent his family and goods ahead of him across the river Jabbok, Jacob was left alone. It tells us, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Just imagine being alone in the dark with your heart full of insecurity and fear. And then suddenly, rough hands take hold of you, and you're involved in a fight for your life. We know that Jacob was no weakling. When he first came to Laban's place, he rolled away the stone from the mouth of the well. It was a task that it normally took a group of men to do. Jacob had worked caring for sheep for the past 20 years. That involved a lot of physical activity. Yet now, In the midst of the night, he's involved in a wrestling match with a powerful opponent. Just imagine the jolt of adrenaline coursing through Jacob's body when the stranger first grappled with him. Picture him sweating, gasping for air. Two men in the dark clutching at one another, trying to wrestle the other to the ground. Not just for a couple of three-minute rounds, but for hour after hour. Who was it that Jacob was fighting? It's likely that Jacob did not immediately know who he was fighting with. Our text begins by saying that a man wrestled with him. The narrator tells the story in this way to heighten the suspense, also for us. For quite a while, neither of the two men could gain an advantage on each other. Our text says that the man wrestling with Jacob saw that he could not overpower him. The match was stalemated. Yet as daybreak approached, the man wrestling with Jacob touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for day has broken you know at this point the wrestling match changes. Jacob has come to realize he's not fighting with a man but with God himself. He does not want to let go of God. He says I will not let you go unless you bless me. Before God is willing to give him a blessing he asks, "What is your name?" That was an embarrassing question for Jacob. But in humility, he answered, Jacob. It was an admission that he was a heel grabber, a deceiver, a manipulator. Then God said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God changes Jacob's name to reflect what happened that day. He receives a new name to remind him about how he had wrestled with God and overcome. Our text says that God blessed him there. Now, through the ages, God's people have struggled to make sense of God's wrestling match with Jacob. Some have interpreted it as a myth. Some have seen it as some form of dream. Some have spiritualized it by speaking about how Jacob wrestled with God in prayer. All these approaches are faulty. This conflict involved physical exertion. It was a clash of bone and muscle that went on for hour after hour. In the end, Jacob's hip was put out of joint. Yet it was more than just a physical fight. Its significance went deeper than that. God was engaging Jacob, intervening in his life. Why? For what purpose? What is the significance of God wrestling with Jacob? God had a transforming purpose. He wanted to change Jacob's life. Jacob was the heel grabber, the deceiver, buying the birthright, stealing Father Isaac's blessing, going head to head with Laban in a struggle of wits to see who would come out on top. Currently, he was playing the humble card and sending extravagant gifts to Esau. Trying to turn away his anger and to buy his love. But who was God to Jacob? Did Jacob really need God? Did he rely on God? Who is God to you, beloved? Do you truly rely on him? In all the day to day things of your life, for health and strength, for the ability to do your daily tasks, for all your material blessings. We like to think that we all trust and depend on God, but do we really? Do you ever get worried? Become anxious about things in life? How do you cope when you're facing a crisis? When accidents, illness, economic hardships or relationship problems arise? Our natural human response is to fret and worry. To be busy in our mind trying to find a good way forward, to strive, to try overcome the difficulties facing us. Yet, God is often not front and center in those times. In our struggles, we often seek our own solutions rather than asking God for His help. Jacob's life gives us a picture of God's deep love for his children and of how at times he intervenes in our lives. Beloved, we believe in the providence of God, that it is by his almighty power that he governs over all things, that he also directs our lives by his loving hand. Trials that come upon you in your lives, beloved. They come from God. It's God's way of wrestling with you as he wrestled with Jacob. God has a transforming purpose in doing so. His goal is to change your life. To reveal himself more fully to you so you come to put your faith and trust in him. In our text, Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Peniel means face of God. Jacob is confessing he had a personal encounter with God. A life-changing encounter. Earlier he had prayed, Please deliver my hand. Deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. Now we can confidently assert, my life has been delivered. Jacob, now called Israel, is learning to trust and rely on God. Beloved, please understand, Esau was still approaching with his 400 men. But Jacob's no longer afraid. He's come to put his trust on God Almighty. He came to the realization that it was only with God on his side that he could face life. That with the assurance of God's ongoing presence, he no longer needed to be afraid of anything that might face him in this life. God was with him, and therefore he could go forth in peace. This brings us to our final point, and we'll consider our entrance into God's kingdom. Our text shows that God confronted Jacob on his way back to Canaan. God did not allow him into the promised land until he knocked the self-sufficiency out of him. At Bethel, on the way to Uncle Laban's place, the sun had set when God met Jacob in the night and gave him his blessing. Yet at Peniel, God met Jacob in the night, gave his blessing, and the sun rose upon him. A new day is beginning for Jacob. It was symbolic of God's renewed blessing on his life. Yet Jacob is left with a disability, a limp. It was a permanent reminder of the time when he encountered God and strove with him. A reminder not to rely on himself or on his own wisdom or strength, but to be ever dependent on God. Our text says that as a result of these events, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that's on the hip socket. Every time the Israelites butchered an animal... They were reminded of the story of God crippling their father Jacob before he could enter the promised land. A little more than four centuries later, the nation of Israel had to relearn the lesson God taught Jacob. They could not enter the promised land in their own strength. This is a hard lesson for Israel to learn. When the spies went out, the majority came back with a negative report. They talked about the giants in the land. They struck fear in the hearts of God's people. Hearing the report, the people failed to trust that God would give them the land. Instead, they made plans to return to Egypt. The result was that the Lord did not allow that generation to enter the promised land. Later, a new generation, along with Joshua and Caleb, did enter the land. The first city they captured was Jericho. It was a gift from God. To go forward in battle against the Canaanite nations, they had to be strong and courageous. They had to trust that God was with them, that he would not leave them or forsake them. The same applies to us, beloved. We do not enter the kingdom of God by our hard work, but only by God's grace. That's why Jesus warns us, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God self-made, and self-sufficient people cannot enter the kingdom of God, not unless they learn to rely on God for their hope and salvation. Jesus urges us, saying, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, will not be able The reason many cannot enter the kingdom of God is that they seek to come to God on the basis of their own merits because they think that they're good people who deserve his blessings. We can only come to God through Jesus Christ. He wrestled with God in order to open the way for us. During his struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Christ really struggled on the cross. When the Father forsook him, when God poured out his wrath against our sins on Jesus, then Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ persevered in that struggle to open the way for us to come to God. So how can we enter the kingdom of God? When the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved seems so simple. And yet it is difficult for us self-sufficient people to believe in Christ alone. Jesus himself is that narrow door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God except through him. Let me try to make the point by quoting one more of Jesus' sayings. In Luke 18, Jesus warned his disciples, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How does a little child, a baby, receive something? Well, just observe a baby She cannot do anything for herself. She is completely dependent on her caregivers. She fully relies on them for all she needs, for food, for clean clothing and shelter, for hugs and kisses. This is the model for entering the kingdom of God. Not self-sufficiency, but trust and dependence on God. Not self-reliance, but faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Beloved, learning to trust in the Lord is hard. It goes against the grain. By nature, we like to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. But we can never make it through life on our own. That's why at times... God strives with us. He brings hardships and sorrows into our lives. He confronts us with stress and anxiety. Through difficult trials, he teaches us not to rely on ourselves, but to trust fully on him. So we can face life without fear, knowing God is on our side. Our assurance comes from knowing God sent his dearly loved son to die for us. It comes from knowing Christ's victory over sin and Satan and death. We don't need to struggle and mourn and grieve in the night. Our bright morning star has come. In Christ, a new day has dawned. It's in him alone that we will find Abundant blessings. Blessings to help us cope with all the trials and stress of this life. Blessings to look forward to when we enter our promised inheritance. Life with God forevermore. Amen.